Section 26 of A Minor War History This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hampton A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes Letter Number 76 Centerville Heights, Virginia, November 16, 1862 Have had delightful weather the past week, but today it has come off colder and looks as if it was going to snow. I do not care if it does, having a snug warm house and plenty of firewood. During the week a great many of the boys have visited the Bull Run battlefield. Some Company C boys who went over the first of the week found Frank Robinson's skeleton. It was fully identified by a peculiar filling of the teeth. Curly, Granville S., Converse, and I took a day off and went over together. That field where the battle lines locked horns was a field of horrors. The hasty and incomplete burials, in many instances no burial at all, with the work of the elements for months had made a ghastly mess of things. Human skulls rolling about with fragments of disjointed skeletons here and there, we found the body of one man lying all alone, far out in the open field, which had lain undiscovered and undisturbed right where the poor fellow fell and died. There was one of the missing, whose friends only know that he was lost in that fight. I could have gathered wagon loads of bullets, shell fragments, and other debris. I send one bullet, with fragment of blue cloth attached, that tells its own story. It struck some poor fellow, going right through him, flattening on a bone as it passed, and making a hook which tore off a fragment of a blouse as it came out. But enough of horrors for one letter. On our way back to camp, Curly and I struck it rich. As we crossed Bull Run Creek at the Stone Bridge, we noticed on the flats below an old sow with a litter of pigs. And as we were studying the situation, reinforcements came up. A fellow from some New York regiment. He had an old Belgian rifle with him. I had my six-shooter. And Curly had his jackknife. We held a council of war decided on a plan of operations, and when we got through we had three of those pigs. They were neatly and expeditiously dressed, and Curly and I headed for camp with a fine supply of pig pork swinging from a pole between us. Bill and I have been living on fresh pork ever since. Pork steak, pork chops, pork cutlets, pork chitterlings, and Bill rigged up a wire contraption and roasted one choice cut by hanging before the fire. Friday night we had quite a flutter in camp in anticipation of an attack. As near as I can find out, some place fifteen or twenty miles from here was threatened by some rebel cavalry some time or other, and our super-alert officers determined not to be caught napping. So along in the night the men were routed up and ordered to pack ready to march at a moment's notice, and to sleep with all their equipments on. Bill and I packed our blankets, but were not foolish enough to get into our harness, time enough for that after there was an alarm. And after a while, having discussed the situation and the probabilities, and feeling the need of our blankets, we pulled them out, made ourselves comfortable, and are still alive to tell the tale. We have a battery of artillery here with us, two pieces in each of three redoubts. They're now surrounding the redoubts with an abatis of felled trees, the limbs and branches sharpened and pointed outward. It makes a very troublesome thing to climb over, particularly of a dark night. Bill and I are seriously considering the advisability of enlarging our house. I think it probable we will tackle the job within a few days. 
We are also planning to take a little trip for a winter supply of walnuts and pork, both of which grow wild and are quite abundant out in the country. If we had a shotgun, we could get any quantity of gray squirrels. If we get into any place this winter where we are reasonably sure of stopping, about the first thing I will do will be to send home for a box of good things to eat. There is a little girl here in Centerville that I have taken quite a fancy to. She looks so much like you. She's about eight years old, and I saw her while on guard duty. She has features like you, hair like yours, and when she smiles, her cheeks dimple up just as yours do. Yet she is a little slave girl, just for that drop of negro blood that I would never suspect. It is evening now, and I have seated myself on the edge of our bunk to finish my letter. Bill is sprawled out beside me, reciting poetry by the yard. We had a dress parade at sunset, Major Bailey in command. He has got a monstrous big overcoat to match his gloves, hat, and shoulder straps, and when I first saw him coming, I thought it was a woman. I expect to be on guard tomorrow. Our detail for guard duty now is two men a day from each company. As Company I now only has 15 for duty, this brings us on guard about once a week. I heard somebody in the street say just now that Hooker has ordered us to report to him at the front. I'm not over-anxious to get out of my comfortable little nest here, but if we are to go, we will be delighted to serve again under glorious old Joe Hooker. Letter 77 Camp at Wolf Run Shoals on Occoquan Creek, Virginia November 23, 1862 I have just finished reading letters from you and Addie that came in this morning. My fingers are so cold I can hardly clutch the pen, and the wind fairly howls as it comes tearing up the gorge. We left our Centerville camp Tuesday and arrived here the next day. Up to yesterday noon it rained without cessation, and as we trudged along through the mud and rain, or shivered in our wet beds with no protection but our little pieces of shelter tent, you may be sure we thought of the happy homes we had left at Centerville. This is one of the wildest places I have seen in Virginia, the Occoquan rushing down through gloomy gorges, clothed in a dense vegetation. The river here is about as wide as Elm Street, and only to be crossed at fords, and at this season of the year, wading rivers has its disagreeable features. On the crest commanding this ford, the rebels had two forts, and along the hillside between the forts and river, a line of rifle pits. Our regiment is camped on the hillside between the fort and pits, and the declivity above us is so steep as to be almost a precipice. Our entire division is now assembled in this immediate vicinity. The wind blows bitter cold today, and there is a good fire going in front of every tent. Bill is sitting on a half-barrel outside the tent writing letters, and I am on my blankets at the portal. Every few minutes we have to stop and thaw out at the fire. Bill and I have really been living pretty high on this expedition. We lug soft bread enough in our haversacks and knapsacks so that we still have a good supply left. The day we got here I waded back across the creek and went on an exploring expedition. Away back in the woods I came upon a little clearing. In it was an abandoned cabin, and it was a picture of desolation. I imagine there was a tragedy here. There were the ruins of a garden patch which evidently had been raided and plundered by vagabonds like myself. But they had not made a clean harvesting, and plowing around with a sharp stick I managed to turn up quite a quantity of excellent potatoes. I also found some turnips and onions and some fairly good apples, 
and came back to camp loaded with truck. We had fried chicken yesterday morning. Bill borrowed my revolver, went off on a scout, and came back with the bird. I asked him if he shot it or bought it. I suspect the latter. There are quantities of walnuts, butternuts, and persimmons about here. These last are a wild plum growing on a tree looking much like an apple tree. They are awfully puckery when green and sickish sweet when dead ripe. Two days before we left Centerville, Johnny Ogden's wife came out to see him. It is no place for a woman, and my opinion is she had better have stayed at home. She has had a chance to see some of the rough side of campaigning. All that could be done has been done for her convenience and comfort. She has a fully enclosed tent here, thickly bedded with hay, the best quarters in camp. I have some hopes now that this awful war will be over before many months. We all have confidence in Burnside and are hoping he will lead us to victory. Officer's call has just sounded, and I'm afraid it means orders to march. P.S. It was an inspection, and we are now ordered to carry an extra pair of shoes in our knapsacks. That looks like some traveling. One pair of my size will be about all I will care to tote. End of section 26. Recording by Paul Hampton.